0: What do brokers like to see when a ticket goes on sale? That question came to me in my inbox about a week ago, and it got me thinking because a lot of people ask me all the time, what should I know or not know about the secondary market? So I asked my friend, Martin Haig, from Total Tickets to come on and help me uncover the top five things that brokers like to see when a ticket goes on sale why does this question matter for a number of reasons Uh, number one uh, you need to ask yourself the question of whether or not you really want to eliminate resale from your ticket strategy Uh, number two it helps you understand how almost impossible it will be to ever eliminate all resale Uh, number three it is an interesting question to understand the different ways and the different thinking processes that go on in the secondary market. Um, I say at the very beginning of the episode how resourceful brokers and people in the secondary market are in finding ways to uh, buy tickets or work through the system and capture uh, opportunities. For the secondary market, overcoming some of these challenges and some of these roadblocks that are put in their way it's existential and you might say duh but i think it pays to think through that what does that mean but most importantly i hope that this conversation that we have today is going to get you to the point where i want everybody to get which is to make a serious consideration of what they want their distribution to look like what do you want your distribution to look like and as i talk to martin we uncover how distribution is a important strategic decision for you to make. But before we get to the conversation and we unveil our top fives, uh, first, thank you for being here. This is the first episode I posted in a while. I'm going to get back to it. Um, let me know what you want or need to hear. It's my email, dave at davewakeman.com. I want to include your voice here because one of the nice things about the Talking, uh, the talking Tickets newsletter, which you can get at talkingtickets.substack.com, Uh, and through the business of fun podcast is your voice. So I want to make sure that that continues to be a part of the podcast. So send me a note, David, Dave Wakeman.com and tell me your guests that you'd like to hear from. Tell me the questions you would like to answer just like this one. What do brokers love to see when a ticket goes on sale and the other voices you want to hear from the technologies you need to know to work with, um, the topics that are important to you, um, Make sure you sign up for the Talking Tickets newsletters, talkingtickets.substack.com. Uh, share this episode with somebody. But back to the topic at hand. So Martin Haig and I, we talk about the top five things that brokers like to see when a ticket goes on sale. And we under, we give you a little bit of a hint into the uh, psychology that goes into these things um, and some of the reasons why. This is not comprehensive because anytime I talk to somebody... Um, or I go to any of the conferences, I am amazed at the new approaches and the new ideas that drive people um, and help people in the secondary market get tickets or uh, sell tickets or find new customers. Um, They they are incredibly creative. And I hope that this episode comes off a little tongue-in-cheek because that is sort of um, the nature of it. It's not meant to be uh, seriously condemning, Uh, One side or the other, as I talk about with Martin later on in the podcast, we are both somewhat agnostic on it. My day-to-day in the secondary market was a long time ago. The the business has changed tremendously, right? Some of the things that people do regularly now, maybe I wouldn't necessarily want to do. Um, What I did differently in the past is irrelevant, right? Because it's a different business. Uh, What we did want you to think about, though, is the role Or lack of role that you can see for the secondary market in your business and to get a better understanding of what people are doing. Uh, So I'm curious to see what you think of this conversation that I have with Martin Haig on the Business Fund.
1: All right, all right, all right. So welcome back to the Business Fund Podcast. Today is a special holiday edition, and we are going to talk about the things that scalpers love. When a ticket goes on sale, and this came to me uh, through a question in my inbox at, Dave at Dave Uh so I thought I would have my friend Martin Hay come on and talk about this because Total Tickets just put out a really great, um, you know, kind of primer on resale in the in the secondary ticket market. Um, so we're going to start out. I would tell you, like, look. Because people listen all over the world. It doesn't matter if you call them a tout, a broker, unauthorized reseller, uh, resellers, consolidators, whatever it is. It just means reselling the tickets. Um, I think Martin and I both agree that we are kind of agnostic on the whole thing. Uh, Martin's been learning about this. I was heavily involved in the secondary market for many, many years through some work I did with Yellowtail Wines, American Express, um, the hotel chains like the Marriott, the Four Seasons, um, you know, and I've seen it evolve and change. And so some of the things probably now I understand the good and the bad and some of the things that happen now maybe aren't as um, things that I find I find maybe a little more problematic than stuff that I did when I was younger. Um, but I thought this was like kind of like a fun topic to talk about, an interesting thing. Also, because a lot of people don't seem to understand exactly how uh, brokers still manage to get tickets um they don't understand exactly like some of the techniques and ideas that go on behind here um and one of the things that i've always been impressed by is like these guys on the secondary market will always find a way um around any kind you know a lot of these uh rules and a lot of these um technological fixes so it's interesting to talk about uh i really like the report that martin and total tickets put together so martin Thanks for being here. I uh you've got a really amazing view out your back uh, out your back window.
2: So this is great. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm in sound. Did America I cover everything the at the start?
1: That's a great one. <laughs>
2: you certainly did cover everything. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: Uh, absolutely. It's good to see you again. All right. So we have laid this out uh and again. Hopefully, people are going to enjoy this as much as we did when we put it together. Because part of the reason we did this is because we were like, "Oh yeah, this is like this is totally great." We were we were laughing and having a good time. So I hope that this is comes across in the spirit. Uh, We but we came up with our top five things that brokers or scalpers was the question, but brokers like to see. Uh, when a ticket goes on sale so we're going to count them down from uh number five to number one and i'm going to go ahead and just tilt my hand right away and say that like what this is not really like in any order (laughs) it's just the five i wrote the way i wrote them down but we'll start out with number five and uh, number five is secondary market resellers brokers touts they love it when the ticket is locked to an account why is that martin
2: Why is that? Because um, a lot of people um, think that's going to stop reselling, but actually it doesn't stop it at all because these brokers can easily buy burner phones, for instance. So they quite like it. There's a barrier for other people to buy tickets, but there's no barrier for them. So they will buy lots of tickets. They'll attach it to a burner phone and they'll basically sell the burner phone. I mean, how much can you buy a burner phone for, uh, Dave? What do you reckon on the market?
1: Shoot, probably if you buy them in bulk, you can probably buy them for relatively cheap. Probably, I'd say, 25 bucks a, a pop, maybe.
2: Yeah. And what's the average markup out there on a on a secondary ticket for a big event? I mean, hundreds of dollars could be for a, a proper right. one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yeah, therefore, absolutely. 25 bucks is not a deterrent whatsoever if you're going to be making 100, 200 bucks on a ticket.
1: Yeah, because it's not like they're buying, like, fancy. It's not like they're buying an iPhone to put the thing on. They're buying just a regular, like, you know, anything that'll show that barcode or anything that'll allow them entry. So probably, you, you know, at the most, 100 bucks.
2: Yeah, and the reason why it's probably number five is because there is still a limitation. And you've got to physically meet someone or post that uh, burner phone to someone. So it's not um, – it doesn't stop people from reselling, but it's, it would slow down slightly, but it is not a barrier to these big guys. They will post that phone. They will meet someone or pay someone to hand that phone over.
1: They will walk people into a venue. It doesn't matter, right? Because, that's I mean, true. that's like that's not an uncommon occurrence as well. Um, so lock to an account is a, is a hit because it doesn't nec- It creates a barrier for people who are. Maybe not don't understand the ins and outs, but it doesn't necessarily stop a broker from uh, walking yeah. somebody in, buying a burner phone, uh, transferring a full account or any kind of any any sort of thing. All right. So, if anything,
2: actually, if anything, though, it could be a really good thing because then you, you as the broker, get a personal relationship with the person buying the ticket, which then you could upsell them onto other tickets that you have or something. That VIP experience, people who are buying very expensive tickets will probably enjoy that in some ways as well, better than just a a ticket being sent to you via an app.
1: That's absolutely right. And that is um, actually, um, I didn't lay it out, but it brings up a good idea, which is that, like, Again, we're agnostic a little bit about the nature of it, but that's one of the good things that the secondary market can do because there are um, buyers, you know, maybe called VIPs or high net worth buyers who don't have time or the inclination or the care to um, wait in the non sale queue or like jump through the hoops. They'll just pay what it it takes to buy the ticket. Um, And having those personal relationships, that could be something where you consider a Um, A benefit of having a secondary market partner because, um, you know, part of the thing is, it's like these people are going to get the tickets no matter what. So, you know, understanding where the secondary market can play a role in that, that might be actually a benefit that people consider.
2: Yeah, and if you're buying a really expensive ticket, a World Cup final, when I say World Cup, I'm talking about soccer. I think you think that as well, Dave, sometimes, but the World Cup final ticket might cost you five thousand US dollars. If you know you've definitely not able to resell that, would you buy it in the first place if you knew that you wouldn't be able to sell it on? You know, you're buying that ticket a year in advance or maybe even more. If you're a high-powered CEO, you may not be able to attend that event. You know, so there is definitely a, a good reason why secondary markets are good
1: yeah yeah and 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 having this locked to an account though it doesn't limit it but it does highlight the effect that um though there is a possibility there all right yeah so number four then is buy now pay later and you had a really good point about this when we were talking we were planning this one out this is good so why do why do the brokers like buy now pay later
2: Well, I mean, it depends on how much money they have. Some of these brokers have got a lot of money. But basically, you're only putting a deposit down on the ticket. So if you have to buy the full price ticket at 300, 400 bucks, whatever, that could be uh, a detriment to a, a, a large broker buying lots of tickets because they may not have a huge credit line. I doubt it. But what it, what I mean here is, is that they're just putting a deposit down on the ticket. They only have to put down 100 bucks instead of 400 bucks. Hey, I'll buy four, four times the amount of tickets then because I can buy them now, sell them immediately and only put down a small amount of money and get right. that other buyer to basically fund that difference, that that money that you owe, it's fantastic. Yeah. That must love it. <laughs> it's
1: absolutely true. It's um, because I had I have a um, I was talking to a, a guy on um, a broker secondary market was explaining to me the um, you you know using the deferred payment credit cards. It's the same. It's the same reason, right? And it's just anything that like lets the me um, spend more money in the present and figure out how to pay it off later is great. That's why the credit cards and the points are so, such a big deal. It's just because it allows them to delay the full investment. And this buy now, pay later is a little bit less um, restrictive as far as credit terms go. So then it's not like you even have to have the credit card. It's just like, basically, you have. it's like um, those mortgages, the uh, no-income mortgages that set off the financial crisis. That's what buy now, pay later is, like, except for exactly. it's like for tickets and uh, uh, you know, retail goods. It's like basically as long as you have a pulse, they'll let you. They'll let you go in a lot of ways because there's not necessarily as much, um, at least in the states, um, credit checks and requirements of income and all of these things. At least in the short I- term.
2: Yeah, i think it is changing a little bit there are there are some uh, companies out there now that have to do credit checks to see if they can afford if people can afford to enter into those agreements but basically they're only just beginning to go uh, to come in most um scalpers will be very happy about seeing buy now pay later as long as they can create lots of accounts at these companies like klarna or someone like that and yeah you know, it's not difficult
1: right and and it is, it, you're, you're correct. It is changing a little bit, but still in America, it's, the, it, it's still a little bit of the Wild West. Like, you know, your Europeans have a lot more consumer protections, right? Like, just look at how um, wildly crazy gambling, sports gambling has gone in America, right? There's no restrictions at all. It's close to that with the buy now, pay later um, here in the States. But the thing is, is like too. It's even if the, in the case where a broker might use buy now pay later to access more tickets, a lot of these guys have eight of fifty, like perfect credit scores, you know, because they use the revolving credit so uh, frequently, yeah. and they have such high credit limits due to the volume of tickets they're buying. You know, so buy, let, buy now, pay later. Another big hit yeah. with, the, uh, with brokers. All right. So number three. This one's fun because I've always I've had an issue with this one for a long, long time, uh, mainly because I felt like it was uh, it has been used uh, as a as a tool to um, convince artists to treat their their fans poorly. Um, it is rife for what you're we we're going to talk about uh, how easy it is for brokers to game this system, um, but I think the thing's just a a disaster. Um, it's verified fan. And why is
2: it that they love verified fan? Well, because they stand more chance of buying a ticket than other people, basically, because they create perfect verified fan profiles. They can... Uh, once they know an artist is getting hot, very hot, and is likely to have uh, um, huge on-sales that are going to be sold out immediately, then they've got a whole army of bots and things that are creating lots of email addresses, lots of Facebook, Twitter accounts, uh, automatically posting positive things about that artist, whether it be um, Taylor Swift or BTS. And so they have hundreds, if not thousands, probably thousands if you're a sophisticated scalper of, of pre-qualified um, uh, accounts with aged email accounts that look good um, so that um they jump to the front of the queue when buying tickets whereas you may be a real taylor swift fan but you may have only yeah. posted once to facebook that you like taylor swift or mm-hmm. you may have created a, created a new email address recently or or you are actually the biggest taylor swift fan ever but you're just not on social media and you know what you're probably not going to get a ticket because right. the scalpers have got thousands of profiles of of fake Taylor Swift uh, fans, yeah, and that's
1: where I felt like there was a lot of uh, room for um, bad behavior, uh, you know, like or where the artist would be put into a bad position because like boosts and things like this, they could be gained, right? Like you know, it's just like it's it's just a situation where, you have the best intentions but it can be easily manipulated
2: that's exactly right i'm sure taylor swift said, i want these tickets to get into my real fans and how many times have you, and i'm sure that's exactly what she wanted to do but i'm sure that, 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 that there's on social media is rife with people saying well i'm a real fan I've i've loved her ever since i was xyz and i've gone to 15 shows and and there's a whole history of why this person clearly qualifies as an absolute verified fan but Ticketmaster who runs that system or there are other systems for other ticketing companies say, sorry, you didn't you didn't get through all our, our checks, basically, um, and you didn't get a ticket.
1: Yeah, and and, and when um, how do I want to say it? When, when, when they say that there's millions and millions of bot attacks on the verified fan system, it's absolutely true. And that just shows to me that illustrates how problematic and how much of a challenge a system like that is, because, again, like you said. There's so many aged email accounts, right? There's um, there's Reddit groups and Facebook groups and private groups and groups of groups, uh, WhatsApp groups that are um, set up just to sell aged email accounts, right? Because if you have Google or Yahoo, or I don't know if Hotmail's around, but they're probably still Hotmail addra- addresses. Yeah. And they're all just set up, like people have set these things up years and years ago, right, like, and now they're older, right? So they don't have the same history. So they, you know, The algorithm rewards them in a certain way. It's the same way with um, cell phones, right? You can just buy hundreds of cell phone numbers at a time that all go to one centrally located spot. And that that helps you um, manipulate some of these uh, electronic systems to gain access to tickets. So but, you know. So Verified Fan is, uh, and these similar programs are problematic because they don't limit anybody. In, in, case, in, in fact, they make it easier for people because if you have the ability to create hundreds and thousands of email addresses, you have an advantage right? because you only need to hit a certain percentage, whereas somebody who only has one email address needs to hit 100% of the time.
2: Yeah, I think what we're basically spelling out here is that um, you as an individual person trying to buy a ticket, even if you get all your friends trying to buy a ticket, even if you've got each uh, each of you got five devices at home, that you're trying to go online. There's lots of reasons why you're not going to get a ticket because there's one person out there with access to 5,000 accounts with 5,000 different uh, uh, credit card or way of paying. They're always going to be ahead of you. So it's I mean, I'm a defender of ticket primary ticketing systems. They are not trying to generally, there are are a couple of bad actors out there, but generally they're all trying to sell (laughs) tickets absolutely correctly. And so when people come on board saying it's fixed, um, I should have got a ticket, I didn't get it, why is there a a reseller selling this ticket 10 seconds later on? It's because there are thousands of machines ahead of you uh, with very, very professional people with very advanced algorithms out there.
1: Oh yeah, one hundred percent is. Um, I don't think that anybody is, not, you know, not trying to do do it well or do it incorrectly. It's just what I have found interesting is when I talk to um, people who are even in the industry who maybe work at a team or work at a venue or and they are they're not directly connected to the box office. They don't understand all of this stuff was going on. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm mean, i not even necessarily sure. I just never ask it to the box office people. The box office people might not always understand. And that's why we're, try- we're kind of doing this podcast, because they don't have any idea what's going on. You know, Because I saw it a lot. People were like, "What? Well, how in the world can I get Taylor Swift tickets? And there'd be people who are in the industry. I was like, well, don't you have a Ticketmaster rep? <laughs> don't you have somebody that you can call? and <laughs> just the way you work with
2: and I think you They're said like, something well, I'm earlier. I'm in
1: this that, queue, man. I'm in this queue, and I'm like, going, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're gonna get screwed. It's too. There's so many people competing for these things.
2: I think you said something earlier that was very true. Is that the 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 scalpers will always find a way. Right, Because the primary ticketing companies make a couple of percent per ticket or something. So the amount of money they can put into research and development to try and thwart scalpers, if that's what they're trying to do, is limited by the amount of money they have. Whereas the scalpers make hundreds of percent maybe per ticket. And so the amount of effort and money and time they can put into thwarting or getting around all these systems is 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 easier, right? the, 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 the money the, the odds are stacked in their favor, right? Well, it's existential for
1: them. They have to find a yeah, way around, yeah. or they have to go into a different business. You know, whereas for the the primary ticketing company, right, it's one of many issues and challenges they're dealing with. And to me, I think the important thing is to understand that that flipping perspective, right? Which is like, if you're the the people you're fighting on the secondary market, it's an existential crisis for them if one of these programs work, right? Like, you know, um, so it's everything that they have to do to be able to continue their business. They have to find the solution. Right. And whereas you have 15 or 20 things that could be a priority and you can only hit one or two of them at a time, you know, so you, you, every, you're always fighting a difficult battle. So that's verified fan and uh, similar, uh, sort of, uh, programs that are meant to limit, uh, to only like, quote unquote, real fans. Um, Come with the best intentions, but they're hard because again, existential crisis, uh, the the ability to create cheap emails, uh, cheap phone numbers, all cheap things that can, um, bots posting to my Taylor Swift fan page constantly, all of these things work. Um, So number two, number two is self-select seats. Why do brokers? And scalpers and
2: Talents well, love self-select seats well how wonderful i don't want the bad ones i just want the good ones so i've got like a thousand different bots all saying oh i want to buy a ticket you get to the front of the queue because everyone else is behind you and it shows which seats do you want and you go well i want an aisle seat or i want next to the stage or you know the premium seat so what it look when you first enter into that sales funnel to buy a ticket you've got like Eight minutes, ten minutes, twelve minutes—whatever it gives you. So you've got a—I don't know—a thousand bots, maybe ten thousand bots, maybe a hundred thousand bots. If you're on, if you're a massive um, scalper and you're looking at Taylor Swift, and you're all looking at all the best tickets now. If it's Taylor Swift, you're probably trying to buy them all anyway and you don't care uh, the difference between the good or the bad. But you might just think, you know what, I just want the good. So I'm just going to hold all these. I've got almost the whole venue now is booked out by ticket scalpers out there looking at the best seats and they'll just pick all the best ones. End of aisle is nice. Near the stage is obviously good. They'll just pick all the premium ones and then they'll let the ones they don't like go cheaply yeah. You know or rather just let them go not cheaply just let them go so they'll just buy all the best ones how great's that i've got all the best teeth no one else yeah. has and that then therefore you can really start pumping up the price because you'll know there are no seats available in the front row anywhere because you've got them all
1: yeah exactly no that's exactly right you can you hold them you use that cart timer to the ultimate maximum benefit yeah and you yeah. ride you ride the wave and you can buy the whole i mean you can buy Thousands and thousands of them at a time, or you can just buy a limited number because then the thing is, it's like, because you have the bot that's telling you the countdown on the timer, you can, you can keep jamming the system back up. So you can take as long as you want to, to, to buy those things too. So it's like the instant sellout is bogus because a lot of times they're all jammed up by bots with everything in their carts. And then they might still, like, if you can catch one, I mean, again, it's like playing the lottery, you catch them when they drop because they have to drop, they can't
2: they manufacture all those lottery.
1: transactions yeah. at the same time either. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, a cat and mouse game, but that is exactly why you self-select seats work so well, because you can jam up everything you can make a decision on what's working or what's not or you can see if there's a you can even get a feel if there's not enough demand and you can just like release everything and you flood the market yeah. the other way that doesn't happen that often anymore but um so it goes.
2: Yeah, so some. I mean, like uh, our software, we allow the, the the client, the seller, you know, like Taylor Swift, or whatever, to pick whichever way they want. But they might do um, absolute self-select, where people can go in and pick whatever mm-hmm. they want, or an illusion of that, where we say how many tickets do you want? They say three, and we give we give the the ticket buyer three or four choices of which one. But even if you start moving away from absolute exact self-select to an illusion of self-select it still works the same way because you've still got a hundred thousand bots looking at which seats are, are the best ones that are available to them and they'll just pick the best ones yeah
1: this is this one's very hard to beat because you know there's no absolute way to knock it out even like like you said um the wide open way that like some companies do it, it it's problematic because then it will just give greater choice to um jam it up to jam up all the c2 once but even 3 or 4 you're still blocking up and it still limits your ability to lessen the load that people can uh, they can buy right you know but just just because it, it's still i think people don't understand the full scope of how many bots that there are hitting these systems at once
2: you know uh, so like yeah, that, that the 3 time-
1: the 5 million thing number is is probably on the light side in a lot of cases
2: Yeah, I think that there was a report that came out a while ago where for the ERAS tour for Taylor Swift, there were 3.5 million (laughs) tickets available, apparently, and there were 3.5 billion requests for Mm -hmm. seats. And I can promise you that 3.4 billion of those were bots. Oh, yeah. I meant billion, not
1: billion. Yes. Um, The the problem is... um, Is tremendous. So that's number two is self-select seats. And it's just because it's another tool that bots can use to slow down the the yeah, the release of seats, right? They can hold hundreds and thousands of tickets at a time because they these things are automated. And then they use the cart function, which is eight, nine, ten minutes, as a way to go, oh, I want these or I don't want these, or like, oh, I can get all of these. You know, maybe I'll buy the whole the whole venue out. Okay, so the number one. Number one, drum rolls, drum roll. Hopefully that comes through on the microphone. Lottery. Why do scalpers, brokers, touts, unauthorized resellers love a lottery?
2: Well, I'm just sitting there in front of my computer. I've just generated a thousand credit cards. I've just generated a thousand accounts, maybe more, and I can have a free call. I mean, it's even it's even better than the buy now pay later. It's a free deposit. I can I can create all these different accounts, aged accounts, wherever it might be, and just flood the 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 seller with um, lot with lottery requests saying i would like to be in the lottery please um and you've got you as an individual dave you've you've got in there with you your wife and your son maybe i'm in there with my wife and a couple of friends so i've got three chances in the lottery but this scalper's got ten thousand, or mm-hmm. if it might be chances so work yeah. out the math itself it's just like with some of like programs like verified Pay. i have to be perfect
1: they don't have to be even right 1% of the time, and that is why the lottery is so great because I, and I, we keep coming back to the idea of the aged accounts, the aged email accounts, the phone numbers, the credit cards. I don't think people understand how easy it is for people to create 100 email accounts or 100 credit card numbers or to buy 100 cell phone numbers, right? Yeah, to they, use VPNs. You don't have to have, I was going to say, you don't have to have a hundred cell phones. You can just have a hundred numbers, they, and they, they all ring to one to one number, right? And it tells you that it's coming in. It's
0: yeah, it, and you, a really great tool.
2: And you can go online and get a VPN to mask your IP address because you, you know the ticketing companies are trying to to um, to weed out all the VPN, all the uh, uh, um, IP addresses that look similar and things. It's it's incredibly easy to do that. And actually we've spoken a lot dave we've spoken a lot about bots and things um i know there's been a lot of talk in in the about the doj recently and ticketmaster and live nation and legislation in uh, trying to curb ticket scalping and things and we've mentioned we're quite agnostic about that but um i used to be i used to tell people i thought that banning bots was a way forward into limiting um uh, ticket uh, purchases by scalpers i still think it is but in the future though i mean the future's now that sounds such a ridiculous platitude but anyone who's using siri or um or alexa and these things that's a bot right so in the future Correct. you're going to be talking to ChatGBT, and you're going to say right my name's uh, dave Wakeman. i live in probably a very affluent suburb uh, somewhere and i want to i want to buy a ticket to see who's your favorite band at the moment dave
1: my favorite band at the moment is uh, i have been listening to a lot of lcd sound system
2: Okay, LCD sound system. So you're going to you're going to you're going to say to chat GBT. You're going to say, right, I want a ticket for LCD sound system. um, And um, if they play within a 100 mile radius of wherever I live, please use this credit card to buy a ticket up to the face value of. 500 us dollars or whatever or buy me yep. two and you will leave that as a sleeper command with a bot and it will scour every 10 seconds uh, is lcd sound system coming to 100 miles radius from where you live and it will just yep. buy a ticket then it will send you this thing to say dave well done you're going to see lcd sound system on your mother-in-law's birthday um so then you'll have to have a bit of a problem about to get to see that <laughs> something like that um and then They'll have to undo this legislation about uh, bots because we're all going to be using them. Right.
1: Well, it's the, it's the idea, too, which is almost impossible to legislate for, which is good bot versus bad bot. Because yeah. Yeah. like a lot of tools, a bot's not good or bad. It is how you use it, that, you know, it. And really, it's not necessarily for me to say the way you're using it is good or bad. That, that's sort of a uh, societal thing. Right. Which is kind of why I'm I'm agnostic about primary versus secondary market relationship, because I was like, well, I know that there are tons of use cases where um, the secondary market can be valuable. Right. Because they can reach a different market. Right. Um, There are economic studies that show that, like, because something is on the secondary market at a high price that the, the perception of value is greater right and that has a branding impact on you on the primary side right so at the same time it's like if your tickets come out super super high it can have on the primary side it can have a negative impact on what people perceive as the value of your ticket so uh or or, or you as a band or you as a venue or you as a team whatever you know so there's like good and ba- it's you know there's good and bad use cases on both sides so it's not a I don't want the good bot versus bad bot thing to sound like a value judgment because it's not It's not my job to determine that. It's a, what the uh, society decides is a good or bad use of the bot. And I think that that's problematic because people's opinions change. They vary. Um, people have been, become very, uh, very much like to talk to Siri and Alexa um, and use these things. Um, and I don't think anybody would um view those as bad uses of technology at the same time though how quickly does it become something where it is bad and that's really the difficult thing to to legislate for or to decide
2: i totally agree i mean you're hitting something on the nail here uh, nail on the head here which is a good bot, bad bot i mean the industry really sort of talks about well are you a good reseller or a bad reseller it depends on what your definition of a good or a bad reseller is but what taylor swift probably would be completely okay about would be for a buyer to buy that ticket and if they can't turn up give it to their dad or their uncle or their sister or their brother and resell it to them they're okay with that but some people in the industry yeah. aren't okay with it when it's a, a someone doing it for economic gain who does it in an industrial scale so yeah. i think you're hitting the nail on the head here with good bad Lot, and also good reseller and what the some people in the industry might call a bad reseller so it's very nuanced very nuanced
1: what and i would say that like the thing the interesting thing again about kind of highlighting these ideas and then having a conversation like this is that um all of the all the ideas seem to flow to the extremes and and, and that creates a problem where it's like black or white and so with the resale, with the bots, with all of this stuff, it's not really black and white. It's a lot of gray. And that's the problem I think people struggle with is that the nuance gets lost, that there is a or there's no room for nuance.
2: I would 100% guarantee um, we created this uh, total ticketing. We created this 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 uh, report. It was basically a bit of a white paper for industry insiders. And quite often people would come to me saying, I don't want to allow any tickets to get on the resale market. What can I do? And so I created this document and then we send it to these to the, these promoters. And quite often they said, oh, I think I've changed my, my view a bit on reselling here. It's There's a lot of nuances in here. And they say, if I really, really want to try and stop it, I don't think i really want to actually now because either the cost to me is too great either in economic terms or in lost sale terms uh there are lots of ways it could be negative for them but th- this report that certainly opened my eyes into those nuances that you are absolutely talking about it's not black and white it's very easy for the public to say i hate this why didn't i get a ticket if they were to read this report maybe they'd understand and maybe listening to us they'd understand why there's lots of reasons why they don't get a ticket
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes it's just because, like, Taylor Swift, too, these things are just so popular, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, that that could happen. Um, You know, I I went to um, see Pearl Jam at Madison Square Garden last year. That was as packed as, like, I've ever seen anything, and they've been around for 30 years. You know, sometimes it's just a show. I've even not gotten into a Rolling Stone show at Madison Square Garden. Sometimes you just can't get. Sometimes there's just no
2: tickets available. um And, and know, a really and stupid think, thing to say. Sorry, Dave. I want to say the one no, but, easy thing is: Do you know who who doesn't turn up to these events? A bot, right? A bot can't turn up. Someone turns up. Eventually, it does end up in the hands of someone who does you know like hopefully love that show, wants to see that band. Maybe they paid a lot of money for it, but almost always it's someone who really wants to be there
1: yeah oh absolutely and this thing about no tickets on the secondary is um i would tell them i would go on, like you're never going to keep every ticket off the second of the resale market it's never going to happen i think that what i try to advocate for is i try to advocate for the people who are the primary point of sale to have a very considered um, and thoughtful discussion about how the on sale and using all the tools on the primary and the secondary market works for them, right? Because it's a part of the way that their strategy will show up in the world is distribution. You know, so does it make sense to, you know, to only put your tickets on the primary market? Does it make sense to have a secondary market partner to uh, resell sort of part of your inventory? You know, what makes sense to you and it probably var—it's not a one size, you know, even one size fits all in one venue. You know, it probably changes depending on the show, because each of them does something a little bit better and a little bit different from each other.
2: Yeah, I mean. When we talk to promoters about selling tickets, we give them. It's almost like going into a actually, it's like going into a coffee shop. How many different types of, um, you know, coffees or blends or or mocha frappuccino with caramel shots? There's hundreds of different things you can order in order to get your coffee. Well, there are lots of different things that we give to these promoters. Say, here are the 27 different things you can do to limit if you want to do that. This is the most nuclear one, the, hard, the one that's going to limit the most amount of sales. And they take a smorgasbord, basically. They think, well, I'll take a bit of that, a bit of this, a bit of that. And they create their own strategy. And hopefully that's an informed strategy because we've given them all the little menu items of what they could pick. And it's up to them for what they want to pick, basically. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, and that's really where my, um, my point of view on this falls down now is like, be very considerate about the way that you're going to distribute and sell your tickets because there are so many tools and there are so many ways um, that it just pays to, con- you know, to slow down and make that like a really deliberate decision, you know, and and a lot of, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. just like, just like everywhere else in life, you know, and, and I'm just, you know, I advocate just like being really thoughtful about, the distribution decision the same way i do about the pricing right um you know just know exactly what you're trying to get across like what you what the outcome is you're looking for and, and then make your decisions based on those outcomes you know because sometimes you know using the secondary market as a clearinghouse for like really cheap tickets because you don't want to discount because discounts destroy your brand having a secondary part market partner that can help you um, blow out some, you know, like especially like something like a baseball game, where like you, you know five or ten dollar tickets, and like you put some like advert, like some some hard advertising or something behind it. It's way better than like saying, oh, we're gonna discount, 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 um, you know, seventy five percent off, because that's a
2: whole different story you're telling. Dave, you really make me laugh. You cannot do a podcast without saying, don't discount. It's so funny. Discounts are for anti- dummies. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree, by the way. I completely agree. But I love the way you sure horn that in. And, and everyone, uh you know, everyone read everything Dave's got about discounting. To
1: get discounts are for dummies in any podcast. I'm gonna yeah. uh, it it's like a code. Um you, and yes. uh, I'll tell you the thing about it is is that this discounts for dummies thing has taken me all over the world. It yeah. is the one, number one thing that people know me for. <laughs>
2: and also by the way dave we've we've got to talk about something else dave in that, that we've got about i don't know 5000 5, web 3.0 blockchain people who are absolutely furious with us here by saying the solution is blockchain come on you guys you can easily kill ticket outing and stuff if you want to um i think we need to talk a little bit about that because they think we're all they think we're all dummies these blockchain people mm. saying come on blockchain solves all these problems and um, I think blockchain is one of the tools we we could talk about if you were to, to flip this around instead of what do um what do scalpers love versus what do they hate. Um, but I I personally don't think that blockchain is the holy grail that some blockchain people profess it to be. Um it certainly could be one tool that could be used, but it's just like blacklisting credit cards or it's whatever it might be that ticketing companies have in their arsenal to stop or try and prevent ticket touting. It's not the holy grail in my opinion. Dave, well, I don't think we've talked about this. What do you think?
1: Do I think that blockchain is the end all be all? No, absolutely not. Uh, but again, it's not because I think there's anything wrong with, with the technology. It's totally fine, you know, and the people who are working with it, they're doing really like interesting and cool stuff. Um, it's just that the, the reality is, is that there is always a way um, that somebody on the secondary market is going to find a way to work around it, right? Um, you're never going to be able to stop if, if, you, if you have somebody has four tickets and they want to sell three, to, they go, I can sell you three and I walk you in. You're never going to stop that, right? Or They'll pay uh, somebody to mule uh, a group of people in. They're all, there's always going to be a way around it. Um, It is a tool that can help limit it because there's some people who just won't, you know, some people in some shows that just won't bother with it, right? It it can frustrate the process, but um, if it's a high value show, like um, you know Taylor Swift, Beyonce, um, Harry Styles, it's not going to stop. It's not going to. It just won't stop. Stop them. It might slow things down, but it's just not a uh, something that will stop.
2: Sappy. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 quite heavily involved in a couple of blockchain ticketing companies, and um, I'm not discounting there is a place for them. As you are, it's just another thing that can help, uh, but I don't think it's the the uh, the be all and end all that will solve all these problems. So it's a good tool that can be used to help, but it is not the final and ultimate solution.
1: Yeah, it. Um, I just, and I, I don't have the exact um, the exact uh, information in front of me, but the example that I point to as far as like, if you wanted to go completely figure out a way to shut the whole thing down, the best I've ever seen done was the Cures Tour of America this past summer. Uh, they were able to limit resale um, and they, they also cut down on fees. Uh, they did a lot of limiting, but it took like so much work Um, to get it done but you can do it it's just it's a balancing act right and again you have to also ask the question of like the stuff you can do with the blockchain is that exactly what works best for your organization and for what you're trying to achieve with your tickets because again these um, huge these examples of um, bad behavior right like you know fraud and tickets is still like around one percent or something you're not going to eliminate that anyway because that's not like the people. W- that's not the people we're talking about in most cases. Yeah. Those are people who are going to commit fraud no matter what. They, you know, yeah. so that's you know, um, if it's a really um, hot ticket, you're gonna they're gonna find a way around it. But most of the shows are uh, they don't sell out, right? You know, so like uh, yeah. why would you want to limit the distribution? You want to look for ways to get the tickets in more places because there's the law of uh, mental physical availability right you people have to think of it and they have to be able to buy it you know so you want to encourage that as much as possible i mean again it's it's really it's um it's not that i have anything wrong or i don't think blockchain will work it's just that like, you have to make that consideration for what's right for your
2: business yeah i mean we uh, i have i've had a few clients come to me say i want to stop uh ticket reselling and i give them all the ways that, that i give them the the way that will Uh, be the most effective way and eventually every single time I said this is what you need to do They've all said, I don't want to do it then because it costs put their costs up dramatically. And Mm -hmm. also, it means they sell far fewer tickets. And they say, but I need to sell, you know, I need to sell tickets. Yeah, well, you're going to sell a lot less tickets. An example of that would be you have a verified email address against your driver's license, against your face, for instance, with some sort of facial recognition system. And you are only allowed to buy that ticket. Your name goes on the ticket. You can't transfer it these sorts of things. That means yeah. that when you want to buy five tickets, then you can't buy five tickets, you can only buy one for you because you can't buy it for somebody yeah. else. Well, Once, if you've got somebody who's younger than 16 who doesn't have a credit rating or doesn't have an ID card or doesn't have whatever it might be that they might need. Uh, suddenly, you, know, you can't all sit together because you can't make sure you're in row A, one, two, and three. Suddenly you're not selling any tickets and no one wants to you know be at an event on their own. They want to be with their friends. Things like that, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there, there, there are totally ways to do it. It's just that, like the, they're so prohibitive that does it make sense? You yeah, know, and exactly. I, I mean, I mean, you know, in a balance act for this, something like this is like, you know, where you have one ticket can be transferred, right? You buy two, and one can be transferred. I, I seen that that works better. But yeah, because I mean, most of the time these things are collaborative events, like this, the social aspect. Of going with your friend, unless it's a GA show, you know, you're like, well, if I can't buy the figure for the friend next to me because they can't be online, yeah. then I'm screwed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, Martin, let me, let's, what what would you like to tell people about um, the things that the brokers and the scalpers and the resellers and the touts, if you had to tell people one thing to remember about this topic, what would you tell them?
2: As if you are a ticket buyer. Is if you're a ticket buyer, Dave, my advice to Oh, them? is it, oh
1: I'm sorry, I was waiting for you to answer. Which, which way around, um, sorry. I would say for, for people who are on the on the team side, the venue side, the, the content production side. So on the primary side. You know, because that's where most of the people who are listening to this are coming from.
2: I would say that your ticketing service provider should have a menu of options for you to decide uh, if you do want to limit resale, and if you do, you should you should spend some time talking with them to work out the the ramification of each one because it does come at some cost, either financial, i.e. increased costs or loss of sales. So you need to make an informed decision on what's right for you and what's right for the artist and the content uh, the the content creator.
1: Um, you stole my answer then, because that was just, you know. Oh. my biggest thing is that's okay, because that's the most important thing. Is you need to make a considered decision about what you want to do. That is the whole bulk thing. It's like, again, are bots good or bad? They're not. They're tools. Is the secondary market good or bad? Uh, it can go both ways, right? It's it's a tool, and you know you need to make a considered decision about what's going to work best for
2: you. And on the flip side of that, if, you're, if your primary sick ticket company service provider is saying, this is what we do to stop touting, if we turn it on or turn it off, then you should really think about, should I use that system? Because there isn't one. You don't turn it on or off. It's varying degrees of all these different um, yeah. uh, menu of items you could use. So uh, hopefully they should come to you, saying, you, here's all the different things you could use. Here's all the ramifications. Yeah what's your objective let's work together not we'll turn it off or turn it on for you that's not right
1: yeah one size fits all means no it's like an ultimatum no. means no there's yeah. no one size fits all it won't happen and martin if people have not seen your report yet how can they get a copy of it
2: um they can uh, contact me uh, you can contact me by sales at totalticketing.com. you could find me on linkedin my name is martin haig m-a-r-t-i-n Haig h-a-i-g-h i work for total ticketing or you could contact dave wakeman your very friendly uh ipod uh, sorry ipod <laughs> podcast <laughs> guy and uh, he'll point you in the right direction i'm sure. sorry if that's you. extra to work Definitely. for you
1: i will i will link uh, to your if i can find it now which i'm sure i can uh, to the linkedin post that, that directs everybody to it in the show notes uh well martin i'll let you get back to your ho- holiday uh, thank you for doing thank this. You. Um, thank you for uh, indulging uh, this rather ridiculous uh, countdown. But you know, at the end of the year, we got to countdown stuff, so this is great. Um, yes. And
2: I, uh, thank you. Thank you for for doing this. It's fun as always, Dave. Thanks very much. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Let me know what you
0: think, and tell me specifically what ideas this episode stimulated for you by sending me an email it is my name david dave wakeman.com uh, make sure we also have a talking tickets slack channel with over 300 uh ticketing folks from around the world uh and i'm going to put that in the show notes you can let me know what you think there uh check out martin's and total tickets uh secondary market report uh, it is a really um it's long because there's a lot of resources in it, but it's pretty concise uh, i found it if you are having questions or are not sure where to start when you're thinking about the secondary market it's a good place to start so give it a look um, i'm going to cl- include the link to that in the show notes as well. as well get the talking tickets newsletter it's talkingtickets.substack.com um, you've made it this far we're almost an hour into this episode you dig this, right? You've made it this far. Uh, share this podcast with one or two friends of yours or colleagues who are questioning how they deal with the secondary market, uh, who maybe have talked about needing to think through their distribution a little bit more. Um, and let me know you know who you're sharing it with or why you're finding it valuable. Uh, send me a note. Um, the next episodes I'm going to release, I have one uh, with Jeffrey Shaw about a book he wrote on self-employment, which is, covers me. Um, it was pretty interesting. He, his um, He reached out to me. I, I found the book really helpful. I'm going to share that one. And then I also have uh, the first Fridays with Dave recording with Planning for 2024. I'm going to put out those in pretty quick succession. So you're probably at more podcasts than you knew you needed uh, in short order. That way I can kind of get back to having a uh, Clean slate with the podcasting and rebooting this because I find these conversations uh, helpful to me and you find them valuable because the numbers have stayed high over over the um, every time I put one out. So I'm grateful for you to still keep hanging out with me. Um, but again, I want to include your voice in this podcast more than I've been able to do in the past. So I want your your feedback. Send me an email. Uh, DM me on the social medias, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, you can send me uh, you can send me regular mail you can find my address easy enough uh, you can hit me up in the slack channel um, just let me know um, number one what do you find valuable um, what who do you want to hear from or what do you want to learn more about um, and there's going to be some exciting things going on in the new year um, I have a Really cool project that I'm hoping to be able to announce at the very uh, sometime in early January to mid-January. It's going to be specifically focused for people in the arts, uh, theater, opera, things like that. Um, It's in partnership with some really cool people. Um, I can't get into more detail than to tease you and say that it's going to be all arts focused. It's probably going to be in Chicago. Uh, and it's going to be about a day and a half with a lot of learning and networking and excitement. But again, the first people to find out how to get into this thing and what the invitations are going to look like um, are going to need to sign up for the Talking Tickets newsletter at TalkingTickets.Substack.com. But again, I'm sending this out the week before uh, Christmas, two weeks before New Year's, um, at the tail end of Hanukkah. Uh, happy Holidays. Happy Holidays. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. Uh, Thank you for sticking around. And I will talk to you soon. Take it easy.